as you can tell, I'm at the airport right now. In fact, I'm on my way to Israel. About the time you're watching this, I'm probably going to be on a plane somewhere over the Atlantic, just a few hours from landing in Tel Aviv. I spent a couple weeks there with my mom, looking forward to my first trip in Israel. So while I'm gone, please uh, take care of everything there at home. Take care of uh, the church. Uh, continue to give and serve and do the things that you do there at each point to make us uh, what we are. Pray for me. Pray while I'm gone, and I look forward to being home with you guys soon. I'll tell you lots of great stories. I'm going to try to capture some amazing video, too. So maybe you'll see more of me later on. God bless you guys. Don't uh, know if you caught all that, but uh, Pastor Kurt is in Israel right now. Sucker. <laughs> he didn't take me. Explain what all that stuff means. No, just kidding. Uh, I am so pumped that he gets a little time off. You need to be praying for him. You guys have no idea how blessed you are to be led by that man. He is my life's mentor, and I love him. And please, uh, if you think to, go on our Facebook site later, drop him a line, let him know how much you love him and support him, okay? He will read it. We're starting a new sermon series called uh, Father, Son, and the Other One. My name is Jeff Kinney. I'm the pastor of discipleship here. And that's kind of an odd title uh, that's in no way a slur on the Holy Trinity, and I'll explain that in a second. Today is part one, which is been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Um, I felt like I just didn't matter. You ever been there? I was a pastor of a brand new church, really small church. We met right next door to the largest, fastest growing church in our entire region. And uh, it was funny, it actually was hilarious to watch my tiny little church of 120 people next to a church that, you know, had 2,000 plus people in it. Every Sunday I'd go down by the road and uh, I'd set up our church sign down by the road and I'd literally watch droves of cars as far down the road as I could see pass me, waving to me as they pulled into the parking lot of the church next door. How do you think that made me felt, feel? That was just awesome. No worries, I told myself. Plenty of lost sheep to go around. And not long after I started that small church, I decided it'd probably be a, better, a good idea if I get out into the community and uh, meet as many people as I can and just begin to invite people to church. I spent an entire Saturday having the door slammed in my face, having people tell me, uh, we already attend that other church, or get out of here, we're not interested. And finally, my last stop, I remember the street. I still live near that street was the home of an elderly couple who welcomed me in enthusiastically. I stood there on their front porch and said, I'm the pastor of a new church in town, and they ushered me in, and the elderly lady called down the hallway to her husband and said, honey, the pastor's here to, to visit. He bounded out of the back room, shook my hand vigorously, and he began to call me by the name of this, this other pastor of the megachurch next door to mine. And they went on and on about how much they loved my sermons and on and on about how much they loved our radio show and what a great work for God our giant church was doing in, in the community. And have you ever had one of those sweats? It's like a nervous sweat where, you know, you know what I'm talking about? The giant beads of sweat rolling down the back of your neck and, and your head and you don't want to wipe your forehead. So I finally had to break it to them that I was not that pastor. I said, ma'am, <clears throat> that's all great, but I, actually, I'm the pastor of the, ch the other church next door to that one. She said, oh, you're the pastor of that other one. <laughs> and so I was. And I left that home that day feeling 
disappointed and feeling, frankly, like I just didn't matter. I felt like that other pastor. Have you ever been there? Many resumes sent, but not very many calls back. You were qualified for the promotion, but somebody else got it. Or maybe you're in a marriage where you're basically treated like you just don't exist. Many of us know exactly what it's like to be picked last, written off, or just politely dismissed. And it may shock you to discover that the God of the universe, God himself, knows exactly how this feels. Can you imagine that? God knows how this feels. The story above is an analogy of how I believe that many of us treat the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily here, but, but many in the church today. Sure, we pray to our Father in heaven and we close in Jesus' name. We may even baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's that last person in our baptismal formula that usually gets left out of our actual day-to-day experience. The Spirit is largely ignored in America as a present transforming reality. And I have often wondered how this must grieve his great heart. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Did you know this? I'm going to put a statistic up on the screen. Did you know this? The Barna Group, a research organization in Ventura, California, found that only 25% of American Christians say they believe in the existence of the Holy Spirit. People, the same people who say, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, say, I do not believe that there is such a thing as the Holy Spirit. Same number of people say they do not believe in a being called the devil or Satan. I think there's a correlation there. Barna also found that among 18 to 29-year-olds, that number, that percentage is worse. And what this means is that we are losing the next generation, folks. We're losing them. And it's because we've spent so many years ignoring this person who is the only agent of our transformation. We treated him as if he's just a dove on a stained glass window. And the church in America cannot continue to do this. Jesus dealt with the indifference of his day. And when we're indifferent toward the spirit, it can cause us some trouble. And he dealt with it in his day. Uh, The people in some towns called Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum Uh, Jesus, that was his hometown, and he ended up denouncing these people. Can you imagine that? You're in the town. You show up to hear Jesus, uh, the new rabbi, speak, and he denounces you. And how did he do it? He said, woe to you, citizens of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Well, the word woe in Hebrew is the word oi. Uh, In Greek, it's ouai. And so Jesus pronounces this sort of thunderous denouncement on them. In the Old Testament, woe was something the prophets only spoke to the worst enemies of God, the most egregious offenders, those who had set their face against Israel and God. And now Jesus is applying this prophetic denouncement, woe, to his hometown. And why did he do this? He said, because of the miracles that were done in you, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented a long time ago. If they had been done in Egypt or Tyre and Sidon, those sinners would have repented a long time ago. But you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, you people with the Torah, 
You people who are ever hearing and ever seeing but never understanding, overexposed to the Bible, you folks, Jesus said, it's not going to look good. Why did Jesus offer this denouncement to them? Because they had rejected his message. What was his message? God has something new for you. God has something new for you. And it's called the new covenant. And the new covenant is when the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, doesn't just show up at your church service. He shows up inside of you and he changes your heart. As Ezekiel said, he turns your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And Jesus showed us by this that indifference is a much more insidious threat to our discipleship than open dissent. Why? At least the, re- the rebel will debate you. Well, he's wide awake to his rebellion. He'll slug it out with you. He'll sit there and tell you why you're wrong and why he's right. But the indifferent, they won't even bother. Jesus' best fireworks could not awaken the snoozing Galileans. He wanted to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift that, frankly, they could not comprehend. But their hearts weren't open to it. You see, they'd been there, done that, kind of bought the T-shirt. They heard all the sermons before. Jesus said, you guys are just bored with the miraculous. So Jesus didn't come to offer us a new religious system. Jesus came to offer us a precious gift, a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. And that third person wants to inhabit our lives. He wants to invade our lives with transforming presence. So if you're taking uh, notes, you can write some of this stuff down. What is it? What happens when we are indifferent to the presence of the Spirit in our midst? First, that compromises biblical truth regarding our transformation. It compromises biblical truth. A very studious and learned thought-burdened rabbi showed up to Jesus one day. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came in John chapter 3. You can read about that story. And he said, he started a theological conversation with Jesus. And you know, Jesus is funny because Jesus would just cut straight to what he wanted to talk about. He didn't even really address what Nicodemus was talking about. Jesus said this, Nicodemus, here's the deal. I know you're very learned. I know you're a scholar, but here's the deal. If you are not born again by the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Everyone who is born of the flesh is born, but everyone who is born of the Spirit is born into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus interpreted it overly literal, and Jesus chastised chastised him for it. Jesus said, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about going back and being born in your mother's womb a second time. I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. And all, Jesus said, who come to faith in Christ are born again by the Spirit. So when we ignore him, when we are indifferent to him, when he's just that other member of the Trinity who doesn't matter all that much, we compromise what the Scripture says is the most critical uh, piece of our transformation, which is uh, the Spirit of God. Second, spiritless Christianity jettisons our mandate to reach out to lost people. Christianity is not a nice family religion. It is a living, active, missional enterprise. It is an outgoing deal. And when we make the mistake of treating the Spirit as nothing more than a theological abstraction, an amorphous concept, 
or a vague idea, we will utterly fail to reach the next generation. They need the power and presence of God. They need it. And that's the way God designed it. Take the Holy Spirit away from the church and what are you left with? Mormonism. No, uh, you're left with... You're left with a family-based cult. You're left with a nice religion who cares about families and has some really nice moral teachings. But it's not Christianity. Thirdly, when we ignore the spirit or sideline him, spiritless Christianity creates a look-but-don't church culture. This is a look-but-don't-touch church culture. This is the most dangerous one. The first time, how many of you guys have been to Washington, D.C.? You guys been there? Okay, quite a bit of you. How many of you guys have seen like the Declaration of Independence, some of the original documents? Those are cool. Um, <clears throat> the first time I ever saw them, I nearly got arrested. Uh, they're housed in the rotunda for the Charters of Freedom in Washington, D.C. And I walked in the door and there was a line. And when I got up to see them, they were on like the stone pedestal and there was this, they're underneath some kind of bulletproof glass. And I was so excited. You know, because I had seen one too many adventure movies, and so I thought there might be an encoded message in this national treasure showing me where the treasure was. So I stepped up and put both hands on the glass and began to meticulously inspect this document. Well, the, um, the police officer standing next to the podium wasn't so excited about me doing that. I had gotten way too close for his comfort. And the armed guard standing next to the pedestal turned to me and very (laughs) matter-of-factly said, step away from the glass, sir. And since he seemed to be uh, serious as a heart attack, I (laughs) stepped back. I just wasn't in the mood to be tasered and wrestled to the ground that day. And he said this, you can look, just don't touch, okay? I said, yes, sir. And that kind of reminds me of the church culture I grew up when I was a kid. Growing up, attending a small church in Virginia, uh, I remember this is kind of how I felt. I was taught that I could read the Bible. I was taught that I could learn Christian doctrine in Sunday school on Sunday morning. I was taught that I should learn how God interacted with the people in the ancient world of old. But none of that was accessible to me. I was just learning about God. And all of that was great, but I actually wanted to touch the sacred flame. I don't know about you, but I wanted to encounter God. And so I decided to introduce a little chaos into this tight religious system on the occasion of my baptism as a 10-year-old boy. Our congregation met in a really cute little, uh, just an iconic red brick building with a white steeple like the ship of a mast just going up into the air. I mean, it was just a beautiful little church building. These old wooden pews loved it, loved the old building. And, and so I decided the night of my baptism to shake it up. And instead of uh, floating down the stairs in my blue robe looking like a little floating smurf, I decided that I would jump into the water, <laughs> cannonball. So, bam, I hit the water, splashed everywhere, and the pastor, who was about, you know, he was, I think he was like 79 years old, Pastor Scott, and he was so kind, and he looked at me like, what are you going to do next, little boy? (laughs) And I'm standing there, I'm already drenched, I've been baptized. (laughs) 
<clears throat> and he seemed very concerned. And he said, Mr. Kennedy, on this occasion of your baptism, what would you like to say? And I didn't know what I was supposed to say. I knew I believed in Jesus, but I didn't know I was supposed to say anything. So I just said, man, this water's cold. <laughs> and the church er erupted in laughter, but they quickly composed themselves. Because they're not supposed to laugh at a baptism. And so... Um, he baptized me, and I came up out of the water, and I shouted, "Woo!" And they laughed again, but quickly composed themselves. <laughs> then I came up, and I genuinely felt a sense of the Holy Spirit with me in that moment. And as I was negotiating my way down the fiberglass stairs, at the end was a door. And when I opened that door, my dad was standing there with his belt in hand. And while the congregation sang, shall we gather at the river, my dad made sure that he and I saw eye to eye on the issue of joyless religion. The people in that church were taught to believe that the words spontaneous and sacred don't belong in the same sentence. And as, the, and as they sang, they did not realize that the Holy Spirit was actually doing a work inside of me. <laughs> But the Holy Spirit just isn't some cherished doctrine that is embedded in the creed of our Christian statement. No, we're not just supposed to protect him. And God doesn't just want us to protect the sacred from the, all those weird people out there who would contaminate us. Nuh-uh. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, when he comes into our church services, folks, he touches mute tongues and they speak. He touches blind eyes and they see again. He touches dumb minds and they think again. If you're unclean and you're an outsider and you're a leper, the Holy Spirit wants to touch you and cleanse you and make you an insider. He's not worried about getting contaminated by you. He doesn't need to be safeguarded and protected from you and all your false beliefs. He will correct your false beliefs. He is God's transforming presence. God's transforming presence. So what does he do? Did you know that the Holy Spirit is a promise of the Father. And here's what we were promised. One, the Holy Spirit was promised to all believers in Acts 1.8. All believers. The Holy Spirit isn't for some elite Christians who really sort of work hard and uh, get the Holy Spirit. In the coming weeks, we're going to discover just how powerful his presence is in our lives and how much he is the greatest gift of humanity. Other than Jesus, he's the greatest gift of humanity. Next, the Holy Spirit was experienced by all genuine believers. Jesus said that in John 7, 39. He said this. He said, everyone who is going to believe is going to get the Holy Spirit. That's what John says. All who were to believe would receive him. So he's for everyone. All genuine believers have the Holy Spirit. They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Next, the Holy Spirit empowered all believers. Acts 1, 8 and 2, 42. The Holy Spirit empowered all believers Remember when Jesus left the church. Here's what he said. Don't do anything. <laughs> Just wait. Don't print a bulletin. Don't start a small group network. <clears throat> uh, don't start a house church. Don't try to get a building. Okay, just meet in this upper room and wait. You wait. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to empower you to do what? To be a witness for the gospel of Jesus, to serve the kingdom. 
He empowers all believers. And next, the Holy Spirit continued Jesus' ministry. It's the last one. The Holy Spirit continued Jesus' ministry. How did, how did uh, <clears throat> Luke open up his book, Acts, his second book, Acts? He said, Theophilus, I'm going to tell you about, uh, I've already told you about everything Jesus began to do. And now I'm going to tell you about everything Jesus is continuing to do through the church and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit continues the powerful ministry of prophetic announcement. What does that mean? Did you know, sitting here as a believer, that you are a member of the fellowship of prophets? You may not think of yourself as a prophet, so when you get up tomorrow, you just look in the mirror and go, prophet. But you are. You are a member of the fellowship of prophets. What do we mean by that? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the book of Revelation says. The testimony of Jesus is a prophetic announcement to the world that it's over. Jesus is returning. And we are all going to give account for how we have lived to him. This deal's done. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus by delivering people from demonic influences. Do you believe that? I could tell you story after story. I don't have time this morning, but the Holy Spirit is present in power to deliver people of deception, to deliver them of uh, demonic oppression. And the Holy Spirit is sent to train us and outfit us for kingdom living, living kingdom values. God's empowering presence is here to equip us for service through spiritual gifts. We'll learn about all that. So God wants to invade your life with his transforming presence. Amen? Amen. He wants to transform our world from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He wants to transform you from an oppressed, depressed, and repressed person to a kingdom person. He wants to transform your thinking and your mind. He wants to transform your body through the word of God. And he wants to transform your character so that you'll be just like Jesus. When you are spoken ill of and maligned and accused of things you have not done, the Holy Spirit wants to form your character so that you can withstand that. The Holy Spirit wants to transform and alter our thinking, kingdom thinking, Love, patience, kindness, self-control, peace, forgiveness, and loving correction. And the Spirit of God wants to invade us. So what will our response be? What's your response to him today? When you come in and worship, let me just ask you, no show of hands or anything like that, but when you come in to worship on Sunday mornings, what's your response? Now, if you're new to all this, we expect your, your response to be, I'm just checking it out, and you're welcome here. That's why we created this church, to be a comfortable place for you, a safe place for you. But if you're a believer and you come in here on Sunday morning, man, are you excited about the Holy Spirit's presence, about what he is doing? My prayer is that you would be. Or is your response kind of like the, the Galileans? Eh, been there, heard that, got this awesome T-shirt. My hope is that your response to God would be one of passion and zeal. I'm going to have the worship team come back up this morning, and uh, we're going to take the offering, but I'm also going to have our prayer team come down, and at the end of the service, and I'm going to invite you to come down and get some prayer, but I just want us to pray here really quick and invite the Holy Spirit 
to invade these next couple of minutes, okay? Why don't you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord God, we are so thankful that you promised that wherever we gather, you'll be there. So Lord, our heart this morning is to reach out and touch the sacred flame. And God, we don't wanna just look, we wanna touch. We don't wanna just be taught about, we wanna encounter the person of the spirit for ourselves. And that is our prayer this morning, Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you just never, never responded to the truth of the gospel, I wanna invite you to do that right now. Jesus said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. If you wanna do that right here, the Holy Spirit is present right now to give you exactly what I talked about, which is that baptism, that experience of renewal and transformation in his presence. Pray something like this with me. Dear Jesus, I need you. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would cleanse me of my unrighteousness. And I confess my sin to you. And I pledge my faith in you as the Lord, the true Lord and Savior of my life. With your eyes closed right now, I want you to know if you just prayed that prayer, Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit is here to save you, to transform you. Maybe you're here this morning and, and frankly, you're kind of bored with the Christian life. Well, you heard a lot of sermons. What you really need is an encounter. You need to get close and touch the flame. And you want to do that, but you don't know how. Will you pray and open your heart with me this morning? Pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more. I want to encounter the presence of the Spirit washing me clean of sin, filling me, transforming me, delivering me. In these next few minutes, God, I ask you to come and do just that in my heart as I worship with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to take the offering, and I want to encourage you this morning as we sing, worship with all you've got, okay? Hey, all right. Well, if you prayed uh, that prayer today, inviting Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life, we have some uh, new believers packets on those back tables. I want you to grab one on your way out. Also, you need to tell someone about your newfound faith in Jesus and uh, we're going to do something a little bit different here at the end. We're going to dismiss the service now, and you're free to go if you want to go. But the worship band is going to stay and just play one more song. And we're going to invite our prayer team down and our pastors who are in the service down. If you want the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, you want more of him, whatever you need, he's got it. And so we'll be down front, and we will pray if you need deliverance, if you need healing, if you need help in your marriage, we want to pray for you because the Holy Spirit is present here to set you free, okay? Uh, so let's do that. Let's worship, and then uh, let's pray. Yep.